looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. All right, welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense in Real Estate. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. This week, joined by my co-host, DJ Smith. DJ, how are you doing today? Awesome, Dante. Always good to be with you. Yes, sir. Uh, just kind of updating everyone on what we've been up to lately. We've got an accepted offer on a 24 unit. We're in best and final on a 32 unit. We just offered on a 100 unit today. And we have some other pending offers out there on some other deals in the market as well. So there's definitely deals out there, deals to be had. We're excited to pursue the one we have under contract as if everything goes good during due diligence. Other deals, best and final. Hopefully we get something we can snag another one. It'd be great. Maybe do a, uh, a, a grouped offering with some of those properties or outsource them to some other groups that we work with. And uh, we'll definitely be getting in some more info about those properties um, as we get them really for the most yeah. part. Yeah. And, you know, industry fundamentals are really strong right now. There's a, a syndicator who we've lent to uh, privately on the LP side, uh, and he's titling this the golden age of multifamily. So for our passive investors that are out there, uh, the fundamentals are strong, especially in the Southeast. Texas, a lot of other markets, and it's not just limited to those. Uh, so it's really a great time to be a real estate investor. Most definitely. And, you know, there's lots to talk about top of a market, prices being high, all that fun stuff. And we're just very careful with what we purchase. You know, we look at a lot of deals, we submit an offer on a lot of deals, and we only really get and take the ones that we feel that we're safe and comfortable with today's market standards and pricing and projected rents, projected uh, reversion, exit cap rates, all that fun stuff. And we can always talk about that in another episode. But this week, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off. And I want to say it was June. We were at part three of a multi-part series of basically acquiring an asset. And part one, we spoke about building relationships with brokers to get multifamily deals. Part two, analyzing deals. And then part three, submitting an LOI on a deal. Um, I, I guess I'll just do a quick recap on those three, less than you know, two minutes, and then we'll touch on part four and what we'll be discussing today. Yeah. And high level, Dante, just before you get into that, our thought process in doing this little mini series is that we've learned from some of the best in the industry. We've either mm-hmm. read books, attend webinars, so on and so forth, paid for uh, real estate training. Uh, so we've looked at and and have uh, used multiple pathways to build our knowledge and make sure we're uh, true real estate professionals that are excellent at what we do. And we strive to do that every day. Um, But at the same time, a lot of those people that we learn from, they had their initial success years ago. It wasn't in this environment. Right. And that's why we wanted to do this series is to say, hey, we're, we're a couple of guys that are, uh, I think, getting some good traction and doing well, building a great network, uh, got, uh, you know, our hands on some assets uh, passively and are really making some great strides on the active side. 
And we just wanted to share this journey, uh, you know, document the journey. I thought it would be really cool, but also for new people trying to get into this, uh, let them kind of follow along with us. Uh, but also for our, our passive investors to give you some confidence and a look under the hood at what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. It's hard to call somebody up and keep them on the phone for, you know, what will basically be 45 minutes just talking about purchase and sale agreements. <laughs> I don't know, oh, yeah. it, but for those that want to hear about it, we got it for you. Yeah, definitely. So again, touching back in those first three episodes, part one, building a relationship with brokers. That was the first thing we definitely did was reach out to all brokers, not just the top performing ones and really understanding what they had to offer, learn about the market and let them know what our goals were and how we plan on doing things. And it's definitely paid off. You know, got a call from one yesterday. Hey, I've got an off-market, exclusive off-market opportunity that we're not taking to market at all. Uh, so off-market, there's no offering memorandum for it. Here's your shot at it, which is great. Part two, we're talking about analyzing deals. So what do we do to look for the proper deals? You know, what do we, how are we analyzing properties? How are we getting estimates, quotes, market rates, market rents, all that fun stuff. And then part three, you know, submitting the LOI. So the official or not, I wouldn't say the official, but your actual offer on the property, what you'd like to offer the seller for their asset, how we structure that, some uh, very preliminary terms of what that has to do with. And then that brings us to this week, which is part four. And I guess we could call this one is negotiating and executing your purchase and sale agreement. So we'll st- we'll set the stage for that real quick of what that is first and, and how we go about it. And DJ, you take care of a lot of our uh, legal side as far as working with our attorneys, working with documents like, like contracts like this. So I'm sure you'll have a lot of input here, but the, you know, your LOI goes in after your seller accepts your LOI because they like it, they'll sign it, they'll send it over to you back. It's a non-binding LOI. So no one has to abide by anything in the LOI, but it's good practice to do so. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, at, read the fine print, right? Yeah, right. absolutely. Good, good practice to make sure you adhere to your LOI. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From and, a credibility standpoint. <laughs> right. Yep. So now that we have this back, we'll go to our attorney, we'll send them the LOI and we'll say, okay, draft up a purchase and sale agreement with these points in it. So where we've negotiated price, close date, due diligence, and we'll get into all that in a minute. And uh, he will draw up that purchase and sale agreement. And from there, DJ, I'll kind of let you take it a little bit of what will happen there. And again, we'll go back and forth a little bit. Yeah, and I'll point out he or she, we, we, our attorney happens to be a he in this case. <laughs> yes, with a paralegal, that's a she. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Uh, so yeah, just uh, part of the reason why I do this uh, and have taken on this role within our company uh, is I grew up in the environmental world. Um, so, you know, background's always important. History is always important. Experience is always important. Um, bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, master's in environmental Uh, started my professional career in the environmental field. And if you're working in the environmental field, guess what you're doing? You're spending a significant amount of time, not just looking at data, but also working with our federal government, our state governments, our local governments, rules, regulations. Uh, Dante and I actually talked about at one point, the code of federal regulations. And I actually had to read sections of that. Uh, so not a lot Sorry, of fun. I just fell asleep. Yeah, you said? <laughs> yeah exactly. We might have to wake them up. So, but it was a lot of work with attorneys, uh, cause you're certainly engaged in, uh, litigation issues when it comes to the environmental field and the like. Um, 
So not that it's something that I quote unquote enjoy. I probably wouldn't do this uh, as uh, uh, something that I would deem as fun in my spare time, but you do get used to it and you get used to reading the language, you get used to terms and conditions. And then later on in my career, I'm working with uh, contractors in a design build firm. Uh, so again, reading service contract language, again, you're still working with attorneys, terms and conditions, things of that nature. So that's a large reason why uh, I decided to take on this role. Dante still has input. We both have input on the things that we do, but it's smart for us to obviously as a team leverage what we're good at uh, and you know checks and balances. So that's the way we decided to proceed. And our approach, first of all, uh, before we even get into the purchase and sale agreement is we had to find an attorney. So how do you go about doing that? Uh, web searches, recommendations, that's what we used. Um, and uh, got a great referral to an attorney. Uh, we should actually, Dante, podcast idea, right? Let's get him on and we can have him talk about it. Maybe we should have had him on this episode. But Which, uh, quick side note, we have yeah. our SEC attorney coming on in a few weeks. So yes. uh, Kim Lisa Taylor is who we use for our Securities Exchange Commission attorney. She will be uh, coming on. So we have one of our attorneys coming on, but we have two. We have our real estate attorney. And then we have our SEC attorney. Absolutely. So, uh, in you know, until we get his permission to use his name on here, uh, we're not going to do that. But we do want to talk about the process and the process from our perspective. So, you know, once we found somebody and uh, had a good uh, interview process, uh, and somebody also that we resonated with, who we felt like was going to be a good teaming partner with us. And really for us, it's, you know, the phrase I use quite a bit is we're trying to build the A-team. We're not looking for the cheapest guy on the block, the cheapest girl on the block, the cheapest attorney on the block. Uh, we're looking for somebody who's good, who has experience in multifamily, uh, who is not only going to serve the role of uh, helping us get the purchase and sale agreement signed, but is also going to help us quarterback the process because really that purchase and sale agreement, what it's doing is it lays out a pathway to the closing and the lenders involved, property management's involved, we're involved, the sellers involved, the brokers involved. And there's a, a, a lot of balls up in the air that need to be managed, a schedule that needs to be put in place. Uh, so our attorney really is going to do more beyond just the purchase and sale agreement. Uh, but for getting this document signed, uh, that's really the first step is making sure that we had somebody that we could trust. And now we have a property, we have an LOI that's been accepted, and now comes the purchase and sale agreement. So Dante, uh, did I cover everything you expected at this point? And yeah, most definitely. Add? Yeah. No, no, I think that's a good breakdown. And again, you know, your background definitely takes why you tackle certain tasks within the business. And, and likewise for myself, you know, we divide and conquer, but everything we really do, we run by each other for the most part and make sure we're communicating smoothly of what we're looking for, what we're looking to accomplish. And that's why you kind of take more of the legal uh, contractual end of things for our business, which is great. So talking on that purchase and sale agreement, these are written from scratch. They're not fill in the blanks. If you buy residential property, a lot of times you'll have a, a standard MLS contract or realtor contract or whatever county or jurisdiction you're in contract that you just fill in the blank for the contract, which is great. That's fine. In residential, 
I've written thousands of contracts that are fill in the blank. And that's just what we use. That's what everyone's used to. But for commercial real estate, you know, there's a very good point. And we won't talk about the situation with the current property. I don't, I don't think it's appropriate. But what we think is that, or what we know is every property and every purchase contract is very unique. Every contract is unique to that type of property, whether it's self-storage, mobile home parks, multifamily, or even a single family. Um, there's different aspects. Maybe. Yep. Right. And I'm just going to jump in because uh, I, I think it's important to point out that there is a generic North Carolina realtors form that mm -hmm. can be used. It, there is a fill in the blank version in North Carolina, probably other states. Right. But we're, we're not using that. We're using a custom contract. These purchases frequently are in excess of, you know, a million, two million, five million dollars, depending on what you're doing. Uh, so we are using a custom contract and I'll hand it back over. Yeah. I mean, in these custom contracts, because what if there's a uh, washer and dryer or laundry facility that doesn't mention it in the fill in the blank contract. You start adding addendums to it. Now the addendums is just as long as the regular contract. You might as well just do the purchase sale agreement. What if there's a dog park, a place at uh, a clubhouse, a fitness center, you name it, a pool. There's a lot of different amenities or different parts of a property that need to be disclosed, discussed, and a purchase and sale agreement really guides the process for the purchase and the acquisition of the property. And with, so again, we'll, we'll send it to our attorney. We'll send the LOI. We'll say, okay, take this LOI and put it into a purchase and sale agreement with some of the things, A, you know, we want and B, that you as our attorney should know we should have. And our attorney will do that. Then what happens is we'll, he'll send it over to us. We'll review and, it. And I'm going to jump in one more time. Dante. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, I might, I might do this to you multiple times. That's fine. Uh, That's what you're here for. <laughs> so what we also want to do is communicate with the attorney, uh, you know, not just the LOI, but some basic information on the property. And, you know, one of the discussions that comes down, because these things are always in negotiation, is a discussion on risk. So one of the things I'm talking to our attorney about right away is, hey, you know, this is a great property. And, you know, if we have to, and it's, it's typical in most cases now, have money go hard early, uh, things like that, you know, we're okay with this. We're okay if uh, these certain conditions we have to adhere to, or if these particular protections are not in place. And we try to give our attorney an, a sense of how the prior negotiation has gone because they haven't been a part of that. So they need to get a feel so that some of the language in the contract can be fine-tuned just as a first pass. So with our deals, what we've been doing is the first draft of the purchase and sale agreement. We would like to control that process. We have an attorney that we trust. We'd like to get the first draft out there. Uh, our attorney will start from a template that's typical of the uh, size of the deal. So a contract for a 30 unit apartment building is going to be different from a hundred, which is going to be different from a 250. Um, there's certainly different levels of these agreements that need to be put in place, depending on the complexity uh, and also the sophistication of the seller. You're going to have a more sophisticated seller of a 250 unit apartment complex versus a 30 unit. Um, so some of those, uh, some of that groundwork with the attorney needs to be laid so that the, the agreement on its first modification, which happens internally, 
can be customized for the specific property that we're looking at. Yes, most definitely. And a lot of times people will say, okay, well, I don't want to do the first contract. I want the buyer to do it. So I don't spend as much as attorney fees to start a contract from scratch. Well, reality is you're not really, if this isn't your first time doing it, you're not starting a contract from scratch. You typically have a template and it's more a fill in the blank template that you start with. So again, we'll give the LOI to her attorney. He'll mark it up. He'll make the first draft. He'll send the first draft to us. We'll review it, make sure we don't have any questions, uh, make sure everything's there because you know our attorney's human. Maybe he missed something that we wanted in there and we just double check it. Then what we'll do is we'll ship that off to the seller. The seller is going to read through it. He's going to read through it most likely with his attorney. And he's going to say, I don't want this in there. or I want that in there. Or he's going to do what's called a red lining. So that literally means you're going to put a red line, a red strike through line through what he would like to take out. And then in red lettering, what they would like to add in. And we'll do this back and forth a few times. I mean, depending on the deal, it's different. If everyone's very workable or negotiable through the deal, it shouldn't be back and forth five, six, seven, eight times. I mean, yeah. we're well, just this, about this done where, with ours. Right. This is where you get to get a strong sense of uh, level of pushback, right. uh, willingness to move forward. Uh, how challenging is the deal going to be to get through? You'll get a sense of what information they are actually willing to divulge and share. Yep. Not that I expect some people are holding back, but I think... Uh, you know, things like um, disorganization will become evident that they haven't kept or the seller potentially hasn't kept good records right? or the seller's not willing to do the work to sell. There's work involved in selling an asset. Uh, so y you'll get a real strong sense right out of the box through this negotiation process. Uh, and that's what it is. So, you know, stand firm. My advice is stand firm on the items that are non-negotiables for you. And uh, should I give them the satisfy the boot? I think it's important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a little thing that we'll do uh, where there's, there's always going to be a challenging issue, something that you want to push through. And uh, when we're negotiating, people always have a desire to say no. So one of the things we like to do is give up something we're willing to give up in our negotiation just before the difficult item that we want to get the yes on or we want to get approved. It doesn't always work, but uh, it gives us a strong chance when somebody's had the opportunity to say no to something, then it satisfies that desire to say no. They feel like they have a victory and now in a negotiation, if they're being reasonable, there's usually some back and forth. One person gives and then the other person gives. So we extend that olive branch in the hopes that uh, the issue that we really want to get through that we perceive as being most challenging, uh, it's actually structured in our negotiation. So it's a, a little ninja tip there. Yeah. So let's look at a quick high level of the purchase and sale agreement. I'm not going to go through every single page, obviously, but just some key factors. So you know, section one talks about sell the property. So physically selling the property from one party to another, one entity to another. Next section, purchase price. So the purchase price agreed upon and any deposit that we're putting down, earnest money, if it's hard or uh, refundable or non-refundable. 
Then it talks about survey title commitment inspection periods. That's going to be a big one. So your due diligence is typically referred to as inspection period in these contracts, uh, representations, warranties, and covenants. So some more legal talk in there. I mean, there's a lot of legal talk. It's a contract. Um, conditions. So conditions. pretty much filled with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So what Dante's talking about, even like back in section one, you know, when it talks about the sale of the property, it's not just giving you an address saying we're selling this. It gets into right. the nitty gritty legal descriptions of what it's exactly a 19 page be- long document. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, what exactly this is being sold? It's the property, it's the buildings, it's the furniture fixtures, what personal property, what real property, you know, all that fun stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, section five talks about conditions of the sale, um, any contingencies. Section six talks about closing. Is there, is there an extension? Is there additional money down in that extension? Um, what contingencies or disruptions in the closing? Uh, prorations, then possession, uh, possession, survival, any commissions, uh, terminations and remedies, risk yeah, of and loss. One of, one of the things that we've been standing pat on in these is I, I totally get money going hard day one. Oh, yeah. But I don't know why people would leave themselves exposed if the seller has misrepresented information. Right. Has That's lied huge. and won't share information. So we're okay with money going hard. Uh, and if, if we decide to cancel the contract based on we didn't perform our underwriting carefully. So this may be an area and we, we've received some pushback on this. Uh, but I think most reasonable people will agree that if some of the information provided to us for us to do our underwriting, which is based on information handed over by the seller and the broker has been misrepresented. Then I want our deposit back. You know, we're putting big sums of money down based on information that they're providing. Right. Uh, If they misrepresent and take money hard day one, uh, that essentially is them stealing. You could make a business out of that. So all you crooks, Uh, please turn off the rest of the episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> we don't recommend that as a business model. I probably just gave some people some really bad ideas, um, but I guess you have to own an asset first. So uh, anyways, as a, as a buyer of these types of properties, the due diligence and the language protecting yourself uh, certainly is, is a key aspect of this. Yeah, most definitely. And just to kind of wrap up where we're at, uh, talks about notices, assumptions, and then it's going to list who the seller is, who the purchaser is, their name, address, phone number, and email. And then with additional, so our attorney representation, the escrow agent, and then the entire agreement as a whole with any miscellaneous documents. Right. And as far as the seller goes, uh, you know, we do seller or excuse me, buyer, my apologies, not seller. We're talking buyer. In terms of the buyer, uh, we have an entity that we use. Uh, but the entity that's actually going to end up purchasing the property because it's a syndication hasn't been formed yet. So we just make sure we have our entity or signs uh, in there. Um, so again, something to talk through with your attorney about how that structure is going to look. All that's going to be important, uh, but that entity doesn't necessarily have to be in place uh, from the time that you purchase the asset. Right. Because the entity for each asset is different and it's going to get uh, filed and, and formed after we go under, under contract. 
right? I have, so I think the, the other important thing about this contract, so that, yes, a lot of legal language and so on and so forth, is language on the due diligence process. Um, this contract will guide the due diligence process. It basically sets, as Dante had previously said, the duration, how long do we have to go through due diligence? When do documents have to be received by? So our typical setup that we will do is we don't want our clock to start on due diligence until we have documents from the seller. So what we've done in that case is we've said, uh, you're gonna provide, you seller will provide us with the due diligence documents within two days of execution of the purchase and sale agreement. And then our clock on our due diligence period uh, won't start until we have those due diligence documents. So it gives us a little, you know, a couple of extra days. We don't waste time just waiting for nothing. Uh, we want to make sure that our due diligence period has to do with us actively working on the due diligence process. We've handed documents over to the property management company and attorney who are going to assist us with that. I, I think that's really important. Now, we have received pushback there. And uh, the agreement that we've reached recently on one is, uh, okay, we won't have that two-day period in there, uh, but you make sure you turn over the due diligence documents with the contract, and we're not going to sign the contract until we have the due diligence documents. Because we don't want to trigger that start date of the due diligence period is what that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. You know, the risk we play there is we mm -hmm. don't have the asset or we don't have a, an asset under contract, but we want to make sure we have our documents in order first, especially if, if money wasn't going hard, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is educational. This is sharing. This is not legal or investment advice that we're giving. We're sharing with you our experience. And quite frankly, if we had a smoking hot deal out there and I looked at a property that had very little risk and Dante and I love the underwriting, um, we may very well accept going right. right into due diligence without having the documents. Uh, it's a decision that everybody needs to weigh your risk versus reward. Uh, if it's a killer deal, you may have to put money at risk. You may have to do things quicker. Um, if you want that deal, it's a competitive environment out there, certainly. And Dante and I are always having discussions on risk versus reward there's been properties we've offered on where we're saying for this reason or another, we're not going to offer money hard. Maybe we're given a higher purchase price and making the seller make a decision uh, regarding that uh, or due diligence period or loan durations. But you have to know the process that you're going to step through because you're signing up for a project once you sign that PSA yep. and in the project is getting through due diligence, getting your loan secured, if you're doing syndication, getting your equity raised and getting everything in place, your SEC attorney and so on, so that you can adhere to all the terms and conditions in the contract and get the closing. Yep, exactly, very well said. And what are some things we're doing in the background while this purchase and sale agreement's being negotiated? We're talking to our lender, getting the lender proper documentation they need to secure our loan for us. We're talking to trash removal companies to finalize those quotes. Uh, we're doing the same thing with insurance quotes, landscaping quotes. So the, the ball doesn't stop. Well, 
we aren't doing the work while someone else is doing the work for us, the ball doesn't stop. We're still working on multiple things. And like I described at the beginning of the episode, best and final on an, another deal, LOI submitted on other deals. We either A, have backups or B, other projects that we're always working on. So, you know, we're constantly doing something. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, there's never really a slow moment in this business. So, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of action. Um, if you enjoy doing this kind of stuff, there's always some underwriting to attend to. Uh, but, you know, getting into these deals is, is certainly really cool. The people that we're meeting along the way, awesome. And just trying to continue to, to build our team, our team being property managers, attorneys, whether it be SEC or real estate, uh, contractors, you know, our equity team, uh, other GP partners, key principals, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a really neat industry. The thing I really like about it is, uh, you know, I played high school sports. I was, I was okay. This isn't my high school sports relive the memories moment. Uh, I only say that because uh, I love team sports. Um, I never played an individual sport. I'm sure they're great, fun exercise and everything like that, but I've always enjoyed team sports. And I, I view real estate as being a team sport. And uh, it, it's not a, a, a sport where you're, you're always competing against other people. Well, that is inherent in the process when you go up against somebody bidding on a property. The part you're really focused on and working on all the time is really putting together a great team in analyzing data. And as an engineer and an athlete, that's really cool to me. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of a fun part about this. And it certainly have enjoyed the people we've met along the way. Well, most of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Most of them. Awesome. Well, I, I think uh, we did a pretty good job of this episode. I think we'll end it off here. DJ, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on for the purchase and sale agreement uh, portion? Or I think we, uh, no, it, it, we it's it not off? a great, it's not a great topic. Uh, contracts no, never, it's not never are. Yeah. So we, we tried to kind of keep it uh, high level, cover the basics of what it's intended to do. Uh, give you some pointers, at least uh, from our perspective as to how we go about managing it. Uh, but get a good attorney on your team. That's the best starting point. Yep. Well said. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on another week's episode of Make Money Make Sense. Upcoming episodes are going to be pretty exciting. We're going to be doing deal deep dives where we bring on either some multifamily operators that we've had on the show already, or maybe some new ones. And we're going to really dig deep in the nitty gritty of their deals. We're going to look at every aspect of those deals, really look at the numbers, the projections and where the project currently sits. And I think that's the fun part. Everyone likes to talk about the numbers and the actual project itself. So uh, we hope you guys enjoy those upcoming episodes and we'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.